You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 16. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so uh, in the show notes on the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's also where you can find all the links to everything I talk about. Okay, today, of course, I'll be talking about the Ethereum hard fork. But first, uh, let's talk a little Bitcoin news. Okay, this is a new blog I found called The String Polar, and it's at thestringpolar.com. They have a a post here uh, titled, The Coinbase Implosion Timer. And they do a good job going through all of the uh, points why Coinbase is basically about to explode or or go under. Um, They've raised $106 They've recently raised $10 Um, And why would you raise another $10 round from one company if you don't need that to meet payroll or, you know, to further your runway. Um, they go through all, like, kind of estimate their expenses, and they say that they have a burn rate of between 9 and $19 million a year. And at a, uh, you know, $106 million that they fundraised, that means their runway is getting shorter and shorter. And their actual business model is getting smaller and smaller, or less viable by the day. Uh, they open the GDAX now, they're adding Ethereum, they're doing all this stuff to try to get their skim on and just get a little bit more here and there. Um, you know, eventually, probably they're going to have to drop their whole merchant stuff and just do an exchange. I mean, doesn't Bitcoin China have something like that where um, they're offering these services on top of their core business, which is the exchange? Now, that that business has some legs, but... A merchant processor doesn't necessarily have legs. And you can see that because they put, they were pushing for XT and classic. They need bigger blocks. Three transactions per second is not going to help the business model for Coinbase. They need more transactions per second. Um, but Bitcoin has a built in transaction processing, right? They, you don't need Coinbase. There's going to be a lot of libraries that are built that People can just plug and play on their websites or put into a POS system that integrates directly with a service on the backside. You know, part of their own infrastructure of their website. So Coinbase going forward a year or two down the road, merchant processing is has no market, in my opinion. And this article does a good job of going through about, you know, with their burn rate... They don't have very much longer, and um, I estimate that it could be 6 to 12 months of runway, so they'll probably have to raise some more money. Um, but also it was interesting because they said that when it came out of this Y Combinator, that was um, the incubator that they went through, they were known as the PayPal of Bitcoin, right? That was like their their tagline. The PayPal of Bitcoin. Well, now they're integrated with PayPal. And also PayPal has signed a deal with Visa to integrate some of their stuff with Visa. So you can see Visa starting to encroach on this um, section or this chain, this value chain of PayPal and Coinbase. I can see, you know, Visa doing a 
$21 billion acquisition of PayPal and Coinbase together. PayPal would be $20 billion or so, and uh, Coinbase may be $1 billion. And I can see that happening in the near future. But anyway, this article just says that it's coming. Coinbase is going to have to make some major changes. Adding Ethereum is not going to save them. So anyways, next story. Our next story is via Brave New Coin. And the headline here is Banks Abandon the Caribbean. Local Bitcoin exchange experiences 33% increase in users every month since February. So this is a pretty big story. Uh, it did, I didn't really see much of it talked about uh, anywhere, but it's a pretty big story. And they, they quote Christine Lagarde of the IMF <clears throat> and some other people saying that, you know, banks are de-risking. So they, they put in a lot of um, effort into opening up branches and doing loans in these emerging economies, and especially in the Caribbean. And now a lot of their this portfolio is going under or like in the case of Puerto Rico, you know, they're totally defaulting. Um, they, they don't have, uh, they're, they're starting to close down operations. These are risky places to operate. And so they're closing branches all over the Caribbean and cutting off customers. So, and, and a lot of these economies rely on remittances through the banks, right? So, um, Somebody in Barbados, this is specifically this exchange called Bit, B-I-T-T dot com. They are out of Barbados. And, you know, people in Barbados will um, rely on remittances from Florida or New York. And if they don't have these banks to facilitate that, it's it's a pretty big deal. Well, Bit has now, they have come out with a wallet, which is pretty, it looks pretty nice. Uh, the, the UI is pretty nice for it. And they have the backing of the Central Bank of Barbados. And that's kind of a, uh, a template that I can see moving forward with a lot of these smaller countries. They'll have exchanges or they'll work, maybe BIT will work with different countries in the Caribbean and each one will have this access. So like if you want to transfer money from New York, you transfer Bitcoin in their wallet, and then the people that are in Barbados can immediately uh, switch it over on the exchange built into this wallet into Barbados dollars and use it anywhere they want. It's it's pretty cool. And a lot of these smaller central banks and things are more flexible, right? They're, they're more agile. They can adapt to different things um, compared to the large central banks. So I can see them doing this more and more. Central banks might turn out to be the exchanges of the future, right? Or the exchanges of today turn into the central banks of the future, especially in a lot of these smaller economies. And I can totally see that happening over the next uh, maybe 10 years, five to 10 years, we can see this happen. All right, the next story is from Coinba uh, sorry, Coindesk. Uh, the title is Bitcoin's Nervous System Gets an Upgrade with the Fiber Network. So there's there's a little known part of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network, that is this relay system. Okay, so uh, making sure that everybody's connected and that these packets can get around the world uh, in a very quick manner. Uh, this was several, a couple years ago um, when, let me see, the article. okay, the blocks were about 250k and, you know, the the network needed some help or a faster way to get this around. And 
Um, so this guy, his name is Matt Corallo. He came out with the first Bitcoin relay network. Okay. And it's been working fine. It's, it's been getting slower and slower though. And he said there's, there's a, he uses TCP as the backbone for this network. And he said, okay, well, there's fundamental problems with that. There's, there's latency that you cannot get rid of. And so he's created this new, new relay network that he's calling the fast internet Bitcoin relay engine or fiber. It just came out. It's, it's able to be used and it helps in mining. It helps decentralize mining. And it, instead of using TCP, it uses UDP, user datagram protocol. Um, that's newer, I think, than TCP. Okay. Basically, so, uh, when you transmit blocks on the Bitcoin network, you could have, um, gaps, right? That you could not get all of the packets that you need. Well, with TCP, it's a send and receive, send and receive, send and receive, send and receive. There's a lot of back and forth going on, but with UDP, it's, it's faster. And let, let me just read a quote from him. So instead of using TCP to send the data required to transmit a block once and relying on full round trips to detect and resend lost packets, Fiber sends the data using UDP with additional forward error correction data, i.e. data which allows you to reconstruct the full transmitted data even though some of it was lost. Uh, Fiber's makeup also involves BIP-152, a proposal for compact blocks aimed at cutting down the amount of bandwidth used when block data moves from one uh, from node to node. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff happening in Bitcoin. This shows that this... uh the development in Bitcoin is second to none. And, you know, this is not, the relay network is not part of the protocol. It is separate. It's on top. It's a different service that is being built to facilitate better Bitcoin, but it's not built into the protocol. That's an important point. So, yes, it's it's going to be an add-on. And it says here, um, the software is designed to function as an add-on to Bitcoin Core, offering an avenue for more people to come into contact with the code and potentially launch their own relay networks. So it's going to be possibly bundled with Bitcoin Core or at least uh, offered um, in conjunction with Bitcoin Core. And that will spread this more because uh, with the old relay network, there was a handful, maybe 10 different um nodes out there on this relay network that would facilitate all of these transactions well if it's offered as an add-on to core you know kind of bundled with core then you can see that there would be a lot more nodes out there that are going to be using this and um, bitcoin will just get faster and faster which is pretty cool and he published a guide which is linked in the article so you guys can check that out all right so that is all i have for bitcoin let's get on to this Ethereum thing. Okay, so everybody knows that Ethereum did just hard fork. Now they have, they are not an immutable ledger anymore, which is a prerequisite for cryptocurrency is to have a blockchain and have that blockchain be immutable. It was basically a bailout of the DAO. It was a bailout of the client of Ethereum. And, you know, they probably had a lot of investors that were 
big investors like the Winklevoss twins or some other people that were heavily invested in the Dow. And so instead of taking a, a 30 or 40 percent cut and going on with this uh, Dow problem for a long time, they decided to hard fork. So it was a political move that changed the past. And I want to juxtapose that against uh, Bitcoin. When Bitcoin is going to have a hard fork for this block size, it's not going to change the past. It's still going to be an immutable past. This hard fork is for the future. Who even knows if we Bitcoin could have a hard fork that would change the past? Miners might not want that because miners would rely on those coins that they made in the past, right? And so if you change something in the past, it's a very big problem. Bitcoin's hard fork will be future, looking towards the future of Bitcoin, where Ethereum's hard fork is looking towards the past and changing history. Okay, the first two articles I have here are kind of mainstream financial press articles. One's from Forbes by Francis Coppola titled, A Painful Lesson for the Ethereum Community. Um, the next one is uh, kind of opposite of her opinion, and that is uh, from Motherboard. It's uh, vice.com, motherboard.vice.com, and it's the writer Jordan Pearson. He's a staff writer from Canada. Never heard of him before. But uh, his article is titled, Why Ethereum Succeeded Where Bitcoin Failed. So uh, Coppola's piece, she talks, <laughs> she quotes at length uh, Christoph uh, Vitalik and Stefan Toole. Makes them look kind of silly, like they don't know what's going on. And she does this with other Bitcoin people too. Um, she's had a couple forays into uh, writing about Bitcoin and she doesn't quite get it. Um, so it's, it's not, it's, it's understandable that she might not quite get this, but she breaks it down with what they say, breaking down their quotes and what kind of actually happened. Um, and she does a pretty good job. So, uh, yeah, let me read a few of what, a few things of what she says here. So she quotes Chris, Christoph, uh, I hate saying his last name, uh, Yetz. I think it's Yetz in German, but I could be wrong. Christoph's self-congratulation then headed for the bazaar. Quote, although some do question the analogy code is law, I do not. We just found out that we have a Supreme Court, the community. <laughs> and then Coppola says, oh dear. Christoph seems unfamiliar with the concept of tyranny of the majority and the reasons why legal systems in civilized countries generally do not allow a majority of self-interested people with their brains in their wallets to amend the constitution to suit themselves. So yeah, she does a great job and she points this out that, um, the, uh, it's, it was basic, it was a coup by the majority and it screwed over the minority. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, and, and this is contrary to some people in the space like Eric Voorhees that is kind of cheerleading Ethereum now because I think half his volume on his, uh, on Shapeshift comes from Ether Bitcoin transactions. So, um, so she does a good job. Okay. So the motherboard article by Jordan Pearson, I mean, he is just cheerleading for this, uh, for the Dow. He quotes Stefan Tool at length and tries to make Stefan Tool sound good and Bitcoin sound bad. He even talks about the hernia, you know, when Mike Hearn left. And um, it, it's just a really inaccurate article. 
Pearson has no way to evaluate the validity of these claims. And he's taking them at face value. I mean, it reeks of these same type of people that are all over the Ethereum community that don't know anything about the technology. All they know is that they're in on the ground floor and it feels good. They think that this is great. This democracy thing is great because they have a say in the way this central bank functions. But really they don't because they can't write a lick of code. And the foundation, all they have to do is get out there with their marketing arm and write a, write 10 blog posts by different people that say this is good. And the community will be uh, 100% behind them or at least 85% behind them. So um, the, this article is not good. Uh, the, the Coppola article is the Forbes piece is a little bit better. Um, it's more accurate at least. But uh, they both are hmm, anti-Bitcoin in a way. If I'm an investor looking to invest uh, a big sum of money or I'm a hedge fund manager or some other sort of asset manager and people want to move into crypto, say some clients want to move into the Bitcoin space, um, they've heard a lot about Ethereum, etc., etc., but now you see that their record is not immutable, that they're, they are able to fork for moral reasons. They are able to fork for outside client reasons. And if a central bank or a regulator in the future is their most important client, they're going to fork it and get you. There is no immutability or censorship resistance at all. So a lot of the uh, selling points of a safe haven or a crypto go out the window with Ethereum. When we start seeing the real impetus behind people putting lots of money into the Bitcoin space, and I'm talking trillions, the real impetus behind that is not going to be an in, like uh, speculative play. It's going to be fleeing to a safe haven. And people are not going to trust the, the court system. They're not going to trust the traditional financial system or the regulators. They're going to be fleeing. The same reason why people put their money in the Forsaka firm in Panama. Because they're fleeing the system. They're trying to hide. Alright? And if you look at Ethereum in that respect versus Bitcoin, which one are you going to go into? I'm not going to go into Ethereum. My money is going to be confiscated because they can hard fork it away from me. The forks are moral judgments. And they will do so for clients. Maybe the largest client will be a central bank. Alright, some quick hits from around this Ethereum hard fork. We have uh, Ethereum Classic Project. They're continuing with the old chain. Um, I saw this on Twitter. There's a group out of uh, Russia, I think, that they're running these... Uh, Ethereum Classic nodes from the original chain, uh, which is pretty interesting. You know, they're Bitcoiners, but they want to uh, give the Ethereum community an option, right? So you can go on an immutable, immutable blockchain or you can go onto the new blockchain and have to deal with the bailouts and the centralization and, and all those those things. I mean, if I'm building apps in the future or dApps, I want to be on the old chain. 
I don't want to be on the new chain that can get bailed out or can get forked this way and that way. And there's big time problems with it. So uh, I think they're providing a valuable service. I gave them a little bit of donation. You know, you guys can check it out. See, see what you think. Man, I guys, I just spent about 30 minutes ranting, ranting on Eric Voorhees big time. Uh, I'm, I had to cut it out cause it just got too long and I didn't want to spend time editing it. Um, but basically Eric Voorhees has lost all his credibility, uh, with the community. Uh, people know that he has this vested interest in having more altcoins. The, uh, validity of these altcoins or their blockchains or the investment be damned. He needs these block, he needs these altcoins so that he can make money and skim off the exchange between them. And uh, it's all rhetoric at this point when you call him a pumper or you call him, you know, he's backing the thieves. He'll say that, oh, no, this isn't a bad hard fork because they're just taking something back that was stolen. No, he's on the side of the thieves. The goddamn foundation, Ethereum Foundation, they are the thieves taking this from uh, an attacker that provided a service for Ethereum. I mean, it. Cut off the the Dow immediately before it got too big. Imagine if it was a billion dollar valuation on the Dow and then someone attacked it with all of these, you know, this web of smart contracts. I mean, it would have been fucking horrible. And the attacker stopped it, cut it off right there and it played within the rules, played within the code, did nothing wrong. And now Eric Voorhees is on the side of the thieves, the foundation, the hard fork. Because he needs Ethereum to make money on his uh, business. It's crazy. But I, I get into doing this all again. Um, maybe I'll put that in another episode. It was uh, it was good to yell. It was good to yell at the microphone a little bit. But all right. That's it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Click on the show notes. You'll see all the links, and you'll also see a QR code there to donate. I appreciate everybody that's donated, and thank you for supporting the show. All right. That's it for this week. Maybe we'll get some more controversy next time. Uh, See you guys later. Peace. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.